This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. By popular demand, Place to Be Nation Wrestling returns to the Dirty South for talking WCW, an episodic wrestler showcase designed to educate, evaluate, and entertain, with matches spanning the intimate stage of Techwood Studios to the heights of Space Mountain. Talking WCW presents the best worst and most surreal offerings from world championship wrestling so cast your gaze to the turner tron with hosts jennifer smith tim capel and greg phillips hi welcome to talk in wcw my name is jennifer smith i'm here with the michael michaels to my Shawn michaels tim capel how you doing (laughs) I'm doing great. That's uh, quite the callback. Um, yep. I do appreciate it. Three um, people might get that. It's fine. <laughs> exactly. That's a, that's a joke for, for three people. <laughs> uh, but that's okay because they are uh, hopefully hypothetical listeners of, of this podcast as well. And we have to bring in our third man. Um, what was his name? Jarrett Michaels? <laughs> what's, the, what's the third? I believe, I believe it's Jack Michaels. Jack Michaels. Jack Michaels. Excuse me. Excuse me. Yeah. Jack Michaels, to be trained by Greg Phillips. Greg, how you doing tonight? I, I'm doing fantastic. Much like Hooters on a on a Sunday night during the Ruthless Aggression era, I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> and I've got all my conspiracy theories cooking in my head, and I'm ready to go. That's what we need hey. on this episode, I think. Yeah. This is our conspiracy well, episode. You know, the legend of the three Shawn Michaels is notwithstanding. <laughs> uh we're going to be talking about um, someone who's not Shawn Michaels or Jack Michaels or Michael. <laughs> We're going to be talking someone about who, the three Barry Wyndhams, right? <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, three of his matches anyway. I think yeah, it's the same true. one. Although <laughs> the he, Barry Wyndham, Jack Wyndham. Depending on depending on when you are watching Barry Wyndham, at any point during his career, could seem like a different wrestler. Yeah. Um, so there's there's something to be said for that. So who picked this one? This wasn't one of my picks. Was this? Uh, I think it was uh, your Was it my pick? Yeah. Well, like I said, great pick by me going into this episode. <laughs> so, it's been a little while, folks. It's been a long yeah. week. No, I, I look, I love Barry Wyndham. Um, I feel like he just sort of, and I know it's not true, but it, but in my head anyway, and this is largely a product of kind of how I've consumed uh, WCW over the years where you know, I got into it late in the lifespan of the promotion and had to kind of go in and and fill in the blanks. Um, so I've kind of watched them in reverse, I feel like, over over my own lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just feels like Barry Wyndham comes out of nowhere and grabs this company by the balls <laughs> and, um, you know, makes this, this huge splash and then kind of quietly disappears for a while and then comes back and things really ramp up again and you know you get that sort of ebb and flow and it's it's because he's you know hopping between promotions quite a bit um but you know i i think we came up with three matches that they're all going to be 
um, if not peak Barry Windham, then then very close to uh, some of his finest work. So um, I don't know that we'll have a lot of hidden gems, so to speak, here, but um, mm-hmm. definitely some uh, matches that I greatly enjoyed going into this and, and re-watching some of these. One match in particular, I'm not sure I'd ever even seen, which is very surprising for me to say, but uh, we are going to kick it off um, with beginning in our chronology, a uh, match from your pick, Jenny. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is Clash of the Champions, the first Clash of the Champions, in fact. Oh, wow. Starting hot here. It's yep. uh, <laughs> Total Package, Lex Luger, teaming with Barry Windham against the Horsemen, represented by Arn Anderson and Tully Blanchard. This is for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. Um... I'll just go ahead and say it. Maybe my favorite WCW tag team match ever. Really? Ever? But, um, Ow. Yeah, it's really up there. It's it's really up there. And I'll I'll get into why, but Jenny, okay. why don't you walk us through this thing? All right. Like you said, um, we're in Greensboro. I think you said that. Anyway, uh, we are. I don't think so, I did, but yeah, we're uh, in Greensboro. So I, I'm assuming Greensboro! That- <laughs> Woo! North Carolina! <laughs> I'm assuming that accounts for the extremely loud crowd noise during oh my the match. Uh, yeah. yeah, it is. It's cra- like, I wondered if it was real fake uh, because I was like, surely they're not losing their minds. But you can see them losing their minds most of the mm-hmm. match. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's because it's Tim's favorite match in WCW. So there you go. Um, so Luger – it. Just for my OCD stuff, it bugs me when teams are not wearing the same colors. And <laughs> it, and then when on the opposite sides, you have guys wearing the same color. Like, really, really bugs me. Like y'all Yeah, that that's them. the one that bugs me is when opponents yes. are in the same color. But, yeah. but on a, on a, as a counterpoint, it does illustrate the fact that Arn and Tully are a real tag team and Barry and Lex are two singles guys trying to become a tag team. That's what I was thinking as well. So That's true. Yeah. I, I get it, but it still just bugs me just visually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because I, I pretty much know who everybody is now, like, for the most part, wrestlers and shows. Like, I have a pretty good knowledge base. But a lot of – like, when I was just learning about this stuff, the color of the tights mattered to me in that I, I could figure out who was who. I don't mm-hmm. know. It was just – like how I identified people. Anyway, so Luger's wearing red, and um, Barry's in blue. I like Barry in blue. Um, Barry in blue. Powder anyway, blue. Anyway, yes, right? powder blue. Sky blue. So they, uh, Luger and Tully Did lock you say up. say baby blue? Baby blue. You could okay. say that, yeah. <laughs> they lock baby up uh, at first, and then quickly all four of them get in the ring. Um, to tie up, and Luger flattens Arn with a clothesline um, pretty pretty quick. Like I said, crowd going nuts already. He falls out with a power slam and then a rack already, uh, like mm. two minutes into the match. Uh, pretty bold choice there. I was like, I don't know. That feels, I, I don't know. Get your shit in, I guess, while you can, because Barry Windham's about to be in this match for a little bit. Tully scrambles to tag, and Arn goes to work on Luger's leg. Um, Jr. was great explaining that, by the way. Yeah, he was. He was. The, Jr. and Tony do do a good job in this match. Yep. 
uh, tag to Tully. Uh, then they do a series of quick tag searches, kind of working Lex over. Lex um, kicks Arn into the corner and knocks Tully down. Um, then manages to get his first tag over to Barry. Um, he knocks, he goes in and knocks their heads together. I always love that. A head knocking spot. The first mm. of two that we'll get. Um, and Barry is so, he's so smooth. He does a lariat and a power slam, uh, on Tully. And they're just like, it's just, he glides. Like, he's just yeah. so graceful. Um, for, for such a, I mean, he's tall. He's not big. Like, he's not. He's, he's got muscular. like a huge frame. You yeah, know? He's yeah. One of those guys that he's what, like probably six, six, eight, six, nine, something like yeah. that. Um, like legitimate, and and just has this huge, enormous frame. Yeah. Um, even though he's not like a he's not like a body guy. To your yeah. Point. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like a like a trim fit. But uh, it, it's just it's just startling how how quickly he moves and how fluid it all is. Mm-hmm. Real um, light on his feet. Yeah. He grabs a sleeper and drags Tully to the floor, chokes him a bit, and hops back in the ring while Arn goes over to cradle Tully a little bit. Uh, Tully gets back in, gets some quick shots in, but then Wyndham slams him off the top rope, grabs him by his neck and his balls, and just kind of tips him over <laughs> to slam him. <laughs> he works a quick ab stretch, uh, abdominal stretch. Um, but then Arn comes in to save Tully, gets a sweet-looking DDT on Barry, finally for two. Um, Arn gets a, sn- a sick spine buster uh, for another two, and he tries to, like, lock hands with Barry on top of him and just, like, push his shoulders uh, into the mat, but Barry fights him off. Um, that was a that was a good spot. I like that. Um, Arn goes to knee Barry. While he's laying there, but Barry gets his knees up and escapes out of that. Tully punches Barry Wyndham down, gets a two count, sends him into the ropes, but Wyndham ducks him and answers with a crossbody, gets two for that. Tully tries to whip him again, but then they collide. (laughs) Just flat out hit each other in the middle of the ring and fall down. Uh, The ref counts, but they stagger up. Tully grabs a side takedown and they grapple. But Barry bridges out, just just so nice, um, gets out of that, and then side suplexes the fuck out of Tully for that. Uh, Tully rolls over to tag Arn in, and then Arn starts working on Barry's arm. And the whole time Barry's just selling, like, what little offense uh, Tully and Arn can get in on him, he sells really well. It's, it's mm-hmm. another, another cool effect of, like, how big he is is just watching him tumble all around. Um, and Dylan is pacing uh, along that uh, ringside, looking kind of concerned. Might be kind of worried about what's going to happen. Uh, in a great spot, Arn and Barry punch each other right in the face, and they both fall down. Arn tucks t- Tully in, who takes advantage and gets a sling, a nice a slingshot, slingshot suplex uh, on Barry for two. But there's a huge pop when he kicks out for that one. Punches the fuck out of Tully and then finally staggers over to get the hot tag to Luger. He comes in. He's fresh because he hasn't done shit most of the time. Comes in with clotheslines. Uh, another knocking head spot. Tully grabs uh, knees, legs, and the kidneys when he bounces off the ropes. And then he goes down. But then he recovers and body slams. Arn. All four of them get in the ring to brawl for a little bit. JJ gets in the corner with a chair. 
and kind of wedges it in the corner, but it sort of backfires on him when Lex trips up Arn and sends Arn's face first into the chair. Uh, Lex rolls him up, covers him, gets the win, and there's a huge pop because we got new tag team champions. Babies in the air. Yep. (laughs) Everyone is happy. Lex Luger does a tremendous jumping celebration. Yes, he does. (laughs) (laughs) He leaps in the air. Higher than he jumped in the match. Yes. The more effort than he put in the match. Anyway, um, but the pace of it, it's like nine-minute match, but it's it's so good. Teams are, like, even with Barry and Luger not seeming like much of a team, they both do well enough, you know, to... To get the win, so that's bonding, I guess, as a team. But mm-hmm. it was Tully and Arn are just—they're just wonderful to watch, especially together. And Barry is—he's like a giant white, like he's so white. His hair is white, like his skin's like white. He's just like a—he's like a wrestling giant white. Bear. Watching this match and some of the other matches too, which we'll we'll get to, just in case I forget to say it later. Who he if if, you, if I had to like compare him to someone from a modern context, people that maybe aren't familiar with Barry Windham, the guy that I thought he reminded me of watching these matches the most, uh, Randy Orton. The, I did the, on the on the last match that we watched. The, the sort of the sort of the lean kind of physique, the, mm-hmm. the, the bigger than they look, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, like taller than they look, and, and and then like just the smoothness and the gracefulness with which he does his moves. Like, mm-hmm. like you, I think Tim mentioned that it's the word glide. He like glides when he does his lariat and when uh, his, his body movement with his bumps is very theatrical and very mm-hmm. like, uh, it, 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 he, he, he moves like somebody that's much smaller than him, like a Brad Armstrong or somebody like that. But like, that's the only guy I can think of in a modern context that's, like, got the combination of size and smoothness with everything. It's not like Barry Windham's out here doing these innovative moves that no one's seen, but everything right. does looks different from how everybody else yeah. does it, how he moves his body. It looks Barry, great. It looks great. Uh, with his with – his, um, and you always hear that about Orton, about how smooth he is as a worker, and that, that's kind of what Barry comes off across in, 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 in all of his matches. And this was like – you know, you have – one of the greatest tag teams of all time, Tully and Arn, without question, uh, against two of the biggest single stars of that era. Um, and certainly, uh, with regards to Barry, one of the best and most underrated wrestlers of all time. So uh, this match was – I, I, I want to let Tim kind of have the main event here because it is mm-hmm. his favorite tag, WWE tag match. But, like, to me, I think the fact that they didn't get a lot of time made it more memorable because they didn't go out there and wrestle it like a 20-minute tag match condensed into nine minutes, if that makes sense. They went out there in in terms of, like, we're going to work it slow at the same pace that we would a 20-minute match. They go out and they work it balls to the wall. There's no in this match at all. It's just constant action. It's almost like a modern-day tag team match, like a modern, like, Young Bucks match or something. Mm -hmm. That's sort of... That's sort of where I was going to go with this, um, Greg. Um, I, I would say if you're if you're a fan who has not seen this and you've not seen a lot of Barry Windham, but you're a fan of something like um, Hangman Page and uh, Omega versus the Young Bucks, mm-hmm. which I, a couple of years ago I can't remember which pay per view yeah, was- that was exactly, but 
like you know, like five uh, five star, legit five star, like tag team match, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this would be like a 1988 version of something like that. So if you like that match, um, check this out. It's it's a complete sprint, which you did not see for this time period. And I have to assume that the reason that that it goes what maybe ten minutes tops mm-hmm. that's what it feels like anyway mm-hmm. um is because you know the main event of this clash of the champions is sting and flair you know going 50 minutes so everything kind of gets a little bit shortchanged uh beneath that match so what you have here is probably a, a, a tag team championship match that on a normal card would go like 30 minutes probably you know because that's that's how it was done back then but instead, we get a condensed version of that 30-minute match where it's, you know, maybe one-third the length of what it would be, but everybody still gets their same shit in, as you put it, Jenny. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, look, I, I'm a fan of that kind of thing. Um, you can say that it's lacking in psychology. Oftentimes it is. But I think in this case, they really did successfully take that model that, Southern tag team model and condense it into a very successful 10 minute outing where you've got things like, you know, the hot tag, uh, you know, the baby face heat segment, then getting the hot tag, mm-hmm. uh, the heels utilizing that quick tag formula, the crowd being nuts throughout all of it and being played like a fiddle. Um, and of course the huge pop for, for the baby face win and, Great symmetry, too, with that chaotic start leading to a very chaotic ending to this match. I, I love how they bookended it that way. And it's all just very convincing. You don't realize that, oh, this is really a short match because they've just been going all out. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just, there's no fluff. There's no fat in this match whatsoever. Um, I, you know, at, at, a, at one point, the timekeeper calls, you know, five minutes in the match have passed, as you would often hear on these, these old WCW shows. And I'm like, Jesus. So within five minutes, we've seen <laughs> Lex uh, get his torture rack in. That was like in the opening minutes of the yeah. match. We've seen like a spine buster. We've seen that, that awesome uh, diving lariat from Wyndham mm-hmm. that he usually put guys away with uh, back then. So it's like, holy shit, how much, how much more are we going to see here before all is said and done? I mean, there just is so much packed into this, and, and yet it really does work. What else made it? It doesn't feel shortchanged at all. Go ahead, no, Greg. Not at all. What else makes it seem modern is finisher kickouts because – Yeah, well, yeah, true. EDT from Arn Anderson was a finisher. The Spine Buster from Arn was a finisher. Totally hit finishers at the time, yeah. Yes, Tully hits the slingshot suplex, and that gets which he never got. He never got that move off. Right? So when he did, because <laughs> yeah. heels could never do their finishers back then, unless it was a jobber yeah. match, right? Um, so the and fact that yeah, like he he actually does his his slingshot suplex, and you know, Wyndham kicks out. That's that's a huge. No wonder this crowd was so yeah out of their minds. And it cannot be understated. It just cannot be understated. This is one of the loudest wrestling crowds I've ever heard in my life. For it's any- crazy. Oh, yeah. It is it, that you would think that you would think that uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin, <laughs> 1980s Hulk Hogan were having conferences. <laughs> this is just an incredible wrestling crowd. Um, and and the, to me, this is like if you're if you're one of those people that that uh, believes that crowd reaction is the the predominant 
idea, live crowd reaction for wrestling matches. It's hard to find anything better than this because I, these mm-hmm. guys took this crowd on a ride, and that mm-hmm. crowd was there for all of it. How do you feel about the finish? That was the only it. thing I was like, you know. I like it. It's kind of weird to see a chair. Yeah. It, you have to put yourself in the in the time frame that it happened in because this was, a, for better or worse, a Dusty era WCW slash NWA had a ton of interference and a ton of um, horsemen cheating yeah. all to retain the title or more often than not, cheating and getting caught and getting disqualified or getting the match overturned because another referee comes in and sees what happened and says, well, no, that chair was involved. So the fact yeah. that this finally backfired on the horsemen after all this time, because they, I think, I believe it was at Starcade 87, they had screwed the road warriors somehow on some similar uh, situation involving interference that was later determined to overturn the road warriors winning titles or whatever. But, um, I'd have to go back and, and watch that to be sure. But point being, it was kind of the horsemen getting their getting their comeuppance for once where, you know, they, the fans actually got the satisfaction of seeing the good guys win. Now, of course, <laughs> this wouldn't last very long. But uh, for one night, the fans got to see J.J. Dillon and his cheating ways backfire on him. So I, I actually like the finish. One night? Well... well uh, it lasts longer than one night, but not. <laughs> it's not. We'll put it this way: it's not the dusty finish where they, they you think you get the oh, happy okay. ending, and then the, okay. and then the next night, the next show you go to or watch, they they overturn it. Like this, okay. this actually does stand. Spoiler I, alert! Like I, they, one of their first title defenses, maybe their first title defense against Arn Tully and Barry. They had a rematch, mm-hmm. and they lose the titles, but uh, and then we get heel Barry, but uh, but yeah, is, yeah. This is this is also the only of our matches where we get to see Barry work as a babyface, and uh, that's, that's one great. thing that that is clear. Watching um, '80s Barry Windham is one of the best wrestlers of all time. There's no getting around it. He's just spectacular. One of the reasons I picked a tag match, and I'm I was surprised that one of you guys didn't pick another tag match. I I kind of think of him more as a tag wrestler. Is that weird? No, because if uh, particularly of the stuff that we've watched, because mm-hmm. most of and believe me, I did a lot of research for this episode because I actually the match I wanted to include on this show is not even available on Peacock or the, oh, or the lame. have it. So what happened was Barry Windham in the 80s was more he did have a prominent tag team in the WWF. But we're stick, sticking to the NWA. Mm-hmm. He was a singles guy more more so than a tag guy. However. As doing this research, almost all of his great singles matches seem to happen on shows that aren't on Peacock, like Prince yeah. Worldwide. Being <gasps> our yep. conspiracy. They're yeah, world, Worldwide. All these years later, Worldwide is still not on Peacock or the WWE Network or any other yeah. easily accessible uh, place. And uh, that's where the match that I wanted to put on, which and it was a, it was a match from. Uh, early 1987 from an episode of Worldwide where him and Flair did the whole hour on Worldwide. Oh, shit. Um, and it's one of the best matches I've ever seen. One of my favorite wrestling matches. I think it's as good as any of the Steamboat matches. It's amazing. Uh, yeah, that match is awesome. It, it was on the first, if you remember, Tim, it was on the very first Ric Flair DVD set they put out. Um, mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. where I first saw it. I had never seen it before that. And, I, and it blew me away because I didn't view Barry Windham in that light. I, I knew Barry mostly from the 90s when he was good. But he wasn't like 
you know, one of the best guys on planet Earth or anything. Right. The way that Ric Flair talks about Barry Windham, he says basically that they had countless what would be considered five-star matches uh, just up and down the road on, on house shows that nobody's ever going to see. That, and you know, World just, this and so they have – I actually went and I found my DVD set, the Ric Flair set, to find out to make sure what episode of Worldwide it was. Mm-hmm. And then I thought – and the name of the DVD, and I thought, well, maybe they have this Ric Flair DVD on Peacock. And they do, but they only have the, the matches. portion. They don't have yeah. the matches. So, yeah. so I couldn't – There was that. another one. Yeah, that's probably the closest you're going to get to what Flair talks about when he says they had so many classic matches because – there weren't a lot of them on television. There was that one. Um, I know they also had one in the Crockett Cup. Which is also not on PFAC. I think it's also that same year, yep. 87, which is really good, too. Yeah. Um, but that's, I mean, that's really about it. I mean, maybe a random, you know, WCW World Championship Wrestling back then, um, which, you know, most of that stuff was – they would have matches, but it'd be set up for angles and stuff like that. Right. So, and and they they have like um and and if you go outside of WCW, they had a match in uh, Championship Wrestling from Florida, I think mm-hmm. Battle of the Belts mm-hmm. nineteen six. That's great, but again, why is why is Worldwide not on the network? I don't know. Why is uh, I was screaming about this the other day. <laughs> why is Crockett Cup not on the network? I have no well, idea. Well, that used to be. That was in they had a they had some hidden gems from Crockett Cup on the old network, but you know, I I digress. Uh but anyway, point being, the, but the reason you probably view him that way, Jenny, is in the 90s, he did become more of a tag team guy. He had a long mm-hmm. tag team with Dustin Rhodes. Mm-hmm. He had a long tag team uh 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 well maybe that was the main long tag team he had not to think about but no no him and uh him and his brother Kendall in uh, the late 90s were a tag team for a while uh the West Texas Rednecks if you recall oh god yeah, oh, yeah. stuff with stuff with Kurt Henning um yeah yeah even before the yeah before the team and then um, did he have a team in the WWF too the the with Bradshaw the yeah, uh, the, the new blackjacks or whatever <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh well, th- this is a great. This is something we haven't even talked about about this for this episode of like the the classic uh, one of the great sitcoms we can all recall of our lifetimes was How I Met Barry Windham. <laughs> uh, How I yes. Met Barry Windham was was uh, I, I, I'm sure I saw him in the NWA. I vaguely remember him with the Horsemen when I was real little, but my first vivid memories are of him with his short lived Widowmaker gimmick in WWF oh. in 1989. <laughs> I remember the vignettes for the Widowmaker, and uh, that didn't last very long, obviously. But and then the fake sting and all that stuff. So, but yeah, so it's it's totally understandable why you would view him as a tag guy. Is what I'm long about getting to there. Uh, how I met Barry Wyndham was uh, through you saying Barry Wyndham all the time. <laughs> Barry Wyndham. Barry Wyndham. <laughs> Listen, I went to Barry and I told him. <laughs> Look, Barry, I love your work, but you've got to quit masturbating in hotel rooms. <laughs> hey, I told him once, I told him a thousand times. But he was reliable. He was reliable. That's the most important thing a talent can have, reliability. I told Barry um, to keep masturbating. I did. <laughs> I, I respect Jim, but I told Barry that Jim was wrong. Your body. Do with it what you will. Gonna woke Ric Flair over here, um, right. <laughs> preaching body autonomy. <laughs> um, 
Maybe I should have flipped their roles. I don't know. In that little... <laughs> yeah. no, he's gonna he's gonna he's gonna team up with Bobby Eaton. Um, <laughs> man, Barry Wyndham hotel room stories. Uh, this yeah. is not this is not how I met Barry Wyndham, but it's taking it's taking me back to a story from uh, Mick Foley's first book about just. Uh, it's really more of an aside than a story because there's not much to it other than there's one of those wild hotel parties, probably at like a Marriott <laughs> in, you know, the, the early, what have, would have been the early nineties. Cause this is, you know, Cactus Jack, you got to figure if Cactus Jack and Barry Wyndham were around at the same time, we're, we're talking like 93 at the latest more than likely. Um, so like 92, 93, one of these big hotel parties, somebody, I don't remember whom it was, uh, dropped their keys, like their, their house keys, um, into a hotel toilet that was filled with, as, as Mick Foley put it, Jack Daniels diarrhea. Oh God. <laughs> keys right down in there. He said, without blinking, without even hesitating, Barry just reached his hand in there, pulled the keys right out, handed it to, handed them back to whoever who very gingerly took them. Didn't miss a beat. Didn't complain. Didn't sell it. Didn't sell it. Black glove during that. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Why do you think that glove was black? I mean, he made it sound like he was like elbow deep into that. That thing. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that I hope that by the time we end our journey through WCW, we come to the to the solution to. I've always wondered since I first read Mick Foley's book, and 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 then over the course of what it must have been twenty five years since that book came out, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, shoot interviews and other wrestlers' books. It there is a there is an odd, I mean, almost eerie attraction it seems between pro wrestlers and shit. And shit, yeah. Yeah. like actual human. Yeah. Like there's, there's, there's a the 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 uh, there's a classic Jr. story of of uh, Brian Pillman coming to him with urgent urgent news and saying, "I need your help, Jim. I need you to see this. You're not going to believe it." And taking him into the bathroom and showing him what Jr. describes as the longest uninterrupted piece of human fecal matter I've ever seen. Oh in my, my God. <laughs> <laughs> One day, folks. We will solve this mystery for you. We will solve the mystery why wrestlers are so attracted to poop. Um, you got Big Show uh, shitting in Vince McMahon's private uh, bathroom proudly. You've got Vince McMahon chasing Pat Patterson with a pair of soiled underwear. Oh, yeah. That's a Kevin Kelly classic. Is the answer is because guys are fucking gross? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, just throwing that out there. You probably just hit upon it. You probably just hit upon it. Uh, Notice none of these yeah. stories ever involve any of the women wrestlers. I've no. never been shocked by any of these fucking stories. Like, yeah, it sounds like a bunch of dudes. Like, I don't, huh? <laughs> like, it's fucking gross. <laughs> Nobody can eat a sandwich backstage in the I, know, like, I would not trust any wrestlers if I was hanging around with I would have those known. guys. I would have no. After I'd heard one of those stories about X-Pac shitting in someone's sandwich or something. <laughs> yeah, I mean. <laughs> kind of like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'll just eat my tofu or whatever. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything around wrestlers. You can't no, live around wrestlers. I mean, you can't breathe. 
But one mm-hmm. thing you could do if you were in the ring with Barry Windham, by God, is work with him. Fuck that's yeah. How, that's how good he's right. And that and that quality of of performance brings us to my selected match. Uh, unless we had more to say about this tag team classic. No, no, go for it. I think I think I'm good. I, it's it's awesome. It's it's everything you would want in a a great tag team match. It's a great ramshackle team. Which, this is another thing I love. These ramshackle teams versus the established yeah. tag team mm-hmm. going over. That's, you that's know what? always really cool. It's kind of an early version. If you think about it, the time is about the same. The, yeah. the action is about the same. It's an early version of Sting and Luger versus the Steiners from a few years later. Yeah. Yeah. They didn't do that all the time. And uh, no. this one, I mean, I'd, I'd put it up there with that. So anyway, um, Greg, you've got our next pick. Yes. And, and I will caution our audience ahead of time. I actually watched this match a week ago. And a lot's happened since then, so my brain's a little cloudy, so I'm not quite as up to uh, detail on this match as I am with some of the other matches that we that we talk about. But uh, my match is one that, um, since I couldn't find my, my any of my Ric Flair matches I wanted to find for Barry, it was the one that came to mind in terms of one of the most memorable that I watched when I was a kid. Because I remember renting the VHS of Starcade 88, and what, really renting it to see the Lex Luger and Ric Flair match, and then coming away almost remembering this match more uh, because I had not, um, again, when I was a kid, I liked Barry Windham and I thought he was good, but I always viewed him as kind of a second tier wrestler, like a guy that was a, like Arn Anderson at that time, how I viewed him as a kid, which is, he's kind of Ric Flair's lackey or whatever. And um, it really opened my eyes to how good he was at his peak and especially that he could have been a top heel uh, or top baby face, but in this particular case, top heel. And uh, this match is from Starcade 88, and it is Barry Windham defending the United States Heavyweight Championship against a what I assume to be a recent WWF export in Bam Bam Bigelow. Um, now, this is interesting for several reasons, because my childhood memories are of Bam Bam in the WWF, uh, my earliest childhood memories, because he was in that he was in the original WrestleMania video game for the Nintendo Entertainment System and um, uh, did cartwheels and all that. And I always liked him because he had the flame suit and the mm-hmm. flame tattoos on his head, just looked like a badass and a cool dude that was otherworldly almost. And apparently he jumped ship in 88 from the WWF to the NWA and got a shot here for the U.S. title. He even brought along his manager, the somewhat unique Sir Oliver Humperdinck. <laughs> <laughs> One of the great That's, names in wrestling. And, uh, and and Barry, of course, is the United States champion as a heel. He had turned on his tag team partner, Lex Luger, earlier in the year, joined the Horsemen. And, Tim, I think that many would agree this is the best version of the Horsemen. Um, the Flair, Luger, or not, yeah. Flair, Wyndham, Anderson, and Blanchard with Dylan, J.J. Dylan, of course, in the corner. Um, Barry has... Changed his look up. He's wearing all black now. He's got a black glove on his right hand because he now uses the same iron claw that his father, Blackjack Mulligan, perfected years earlier. Um, and he's hated by the fans. He's part of the horsemen. But as with horsemen throughout the late 80s, there's a contingent of people that like him because the horsemen were cool. So when Barry's introduced in this match, he gets, he gets booze, but he gets a lot of cheers, too, because the horsemen were cool. They were just cooler than most of the rest of the roster. Of course, Bam Bam Bigelow is pretty freaking cool, too. Mm-hmm. So um, 
You've got your classic. Uh, it's, it's almost a – I would love to have seen what this match could have looked like in the other direction too with Barry as the baby face and Bam Bam as the heel. I think mm-hmm. that could have also been a great match. But um, the reason I picked this match is I remembered two spots in particular that never left my mind as a kid. I probably rented this when I was 9 or 10 from the local store that had some uh, Crockett-era VHSs that they would still rent out. And – I remembered a spot where Barry Windham had uh, sort of a, a semi-conscious Bam Bam on his feet and, like, holds him in place and, like, slaps his face in the most condescending way. Not not mm-hmm. to slap him to, like, hurt him, just to kind of like you would do to, like, a, oh, my boy, kind of, oh, my boy, kind of slap <laughs> He goes and he gives him just the mother of all lariats. Uh, Good and, God, yeah. And Stand on spot. Yeah, that that I remember that from that first VHS watch when I was a kid. And then the other one was when he has him. It's so simple, but he has him in the Iron Claw. And I remember this heel move, uh, my whole life basically, where he's got him in the claw and he's just trash talking the fans. And I remember him saying, "He's mine. He's mine." Like, mm-hmm. just I don't know what about mm-hmm. that stood out to me as a kid, but like the idea of the confidence that this dude's so much bigger than him, like thicker than him. I mean, let's face it, Bam Bam looked like the tougher – if you had to go off of looks, he looks like the tougher guy. But Barry's so confident that this head squeeze is going to render him unconscious <laughs> that, that he says he's mine. He, he's, he, he's got complete control of the match, and he's so confident in a way that only really Ric Flair was at that time. Um, and I remember those spots my whole life. And so in this match, it goes kind of the way you might expect it. It starts out – with uh, Bam Bam dominating the offense, he's Barry is bumping around the ring incredibly well. His, mm-hmm. his his body movement, and this gets into the Orton stuff too. But like his body mo- movement is what makes him stand out. The way that simple bumps, he doesn't make look like simple bumps. He makes it look like something you'll remember. It makes mm-hmm. his opponent look great. He's he's gliding around the ring even when he's getting tossed by Bigelow. He 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 powders several times to go and get advice from J.J. Dill, Dillon, and um, and uh, he, he's he's trying to figure out a way to work around this massive man that's that's opposing him. The fans are eating it up, of course, um, and a lot of it is, is Bam Bam taking the offense to Barry, and then there's a turning point in the match where Barry takes full control, and this is actually what I thought was the most interesting portion of the match. As I mentioned earlier with the memories from my childhood, it's almost like they were keeping Barry strong enough to keep a possibility for him having a babyface run because uh, it's very rare that you would see a, a sort of a a powerhouse babyface be vulnerable for this long in a match, and uh, unless it was against Flair uh, or in this case against Wyndham, because Barry, you know, he he does that that incredible lariat that we were just talking about, just completely lays him out. Hits him with close, you know, clotheslines, DDTs, uh, back suplexes him. Even builds up to a body slam spot, and that really is what mm-hmm. stood out to me. That yeah. was a babyface spot, and and Barry gets the body slam on on Bigelow, and then goes up and misses the flying elbow drop, and uh, and that allows Bam Bam to take take control. Um, the 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 claw where, where basically Barry has him beat with the claw, but Bam Bam kind of stumbles into the ropes. Um, they take a double, a, a double out, a double clothesline over the top rope where they both fall and just take a, in particular, I thought Bam Bam took the worst of that, just took a mm-hmm. stick bump onto the concrete and looked like he, he landed his back right on one of those television cables. Um, 
that couldn't have felt good, especially with no pads at ringside. Yeah. Uh, that was that was rough. And then of course the big finish of this match, which is an I will admit the the there there's I think there's two flaws in this match. Mm-hmm. Um one is the the actual finish, which is it is a count out where Bigelow goes and charges Barry and smacks his head into the pole. Uh oh he hit the pole and Barry <laughs> rolls in and, and and gets the count out victory. Which I don't have as big a problem with, honestly, because that's a nice way to get heat on Wyndham uh, without making Bigelow too weak. Because, um, you know, I think that it, with, with the fact that Bigelow had his own manager at ringside would have made it harder for the typical JJ interference to to get pulled off. But um, but the biggest flaw, I think, in this match, there's one spot in particular when Bam Bam makes his comeback and is, and is taking control of the match. He ha- he does his what I thought was his finishing move, which is the 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 slingshot from the apron mm-hmm. over the top rope, and has Wyndham beat, and the referee counts one, yeah. two, and yeah. Bam Bam stands up for no apparent reason, and just points to the corner, and 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 goes up and tries another move and misses that one. So I don't know what happened there. Like I I, wa- I actually rewatched that spot today. I wanted to make sure I had it right in my mind. And I can't, for the life of me, figure out what was supposed to happen there or what what the plan was for that spot. But uh, I commentary did them no favors either with uh, yeah. Jim Ross and yeah. Bob they Cottle, were, who they were both they were know. both really confused as well. Like when, yeah. yeah, they you know a really good commentary team will that'll happen and they'll be just as lost as as we are, but they'll try to smooth it over. In that case, both of them were like, what happened? He had the bad feet. What's going on? Hey, Jim, I don't understand. Uh, but, but oh, uh, that wasn't a botch, I don't know what is. Bam Bam Bigelow must be a fucking moron. <laughs> he had the title one, and he walks away like a dumbass. I look forward to seeing that on Botchamania. <laughs> what the hell's Botchamania? I'll tell you about it after the show, Jim. Uh, yeah, the uh, it, it was it was very bad. That was the one like downside of the match. Uh, but ultimately, I thought the match told a really good story. I thought uh, Bam Bam did his end, of course, with his athleticism. But what the biggest surprise to me, Bam Bam, as great as impressive as he was athletically, he was not the Bam Bam Bigelow yet that he would be a few years later when he was supremely confident and. Uh, really is a more natural heel, I think, anyway. Mm-hmm. This match, to me, was about Barry Windham. This was the Barry Windham show, and I think that's ultimately why I, I went with it, is that it's a great indicator of just how great he was at that time. And um, you could, like, if Ric Flair had gotten injured, you could have easily plugged Barry Windham into that world champion position and not missed a beat, because he he's so confident and so sure of himself and you can tell that in his body language throughout the match it's it's tremendous and bam bam does his part as well obviously takes two to tango Mm. um but man i i i i think this was a this is a great even though i wouldn't say this is a five-star classic or anything like that this is a great indicator of how good barry windham was um which which while it may be the i don't know it may be the lesser of the three matches but it, it it is still a really good match, I think, and tells a great story. What really struck me about this one is that it, despite, you know, Barry being huge physically and obviously Bam Bam is a giant, giant man covered in flames, that yeah. 
Uh, it it felt more intellectual of a match than any yeah. sort of like big physical matchup. Like you got you called out the spots, you know, that were good, but it really felt more of a battle of wits and wills um, than it did like, can I just beat this guy physically? Like, and uh, and I think about the things that you mentioned, like the little slap on the face. Uh, yeah. That he did, like you, like you said, that wasn't to hurt him. He was just fucking with him. Like a lot of this offense that he does um, to Bam Bam feels like he's just fucking with him. Like a lot of the match, and then he, like he would, like you said, break off and like confer with JJ real quick. It was just very theatrical. It was it, in a way that I know all wrestling is. So that sounds really dumb when I say it, but it looked like it looked more like a performance than a wrestling match to me. And I don't. Psychological. And I mean, yeah, psychological. And I think, and I mean it in a good way. It was just very unexpected to me, especially from Bam. Bam I don't really kind of like consider him uh intellectual wrestler, and I could be wrong about that. But but he seemed like just willing to like go with whatever Barry was doing. But then something got fucked at the end. It was like he forgot he was not supposed to win the match. I don't know. Like it's like. But then again, it sort of adds to that um, weird vibe that I felt like the match had. Maybe so, maybe Barry got into his head with his trash talk. Maybe he did. I don't know. I don't. It was just I had just this real slinky quality. And I'm trying to think of a way to say it, like not slimy, but just like a slow, not a long match, but just kind of a a, a battle of wits. Um, anyway, I, I don't know if any of that hit home or made sense, but... Yeah, yeah. It, well, I think it was. It was very much a heel psychology tour de force from, from Wyndham. Very much in the vein of... Also, a learning experience for Bam Bam, because Bam yeah. Bam has only been in business for two or three years at this point. So he's very, very green still. Very much still learning uh, how to be a top-level wrestler. And in this case, he sits under the learning tree, and Wyndham puts on a heel, a heel clinic uh, of sorts. Very uh, much so. Formula to the match. That's the other thing is yeah. the difference, I think, as gr- this is not a knock because Ric Flair is the greatest wrestler of that generation, but uh, the difference is Wyndham didn't really have a, a formula. So mm-hmm. if Ric Flair was working this match, it would probably have been a better match, but it would have been a Ric Flair match. Right. The top, off the top, the chops getting no sold and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And with Wyndham, it's this is different than I ever saw him wrestle, really. Um, so I, I I think you're right in, in terms of it's not exactly what you would expect going in. And I, I like – you can see how – I don't want to say green, but just how sort of more inexperienced <laughs> Bam Bam is. Like, because he's really good at bumping even now, but – he he doesn't take the hit part of the bump. Like I can see, like on a on a kick where it doesn't connect and then he falls off. He gets better at it, but you could see the little the mishaps in the match on his side. Um, but actually, I thought it was a little bit more charming. I don't know. And, and the big man climbs up on the fucking top rope and just fucking flings himself off the top. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It's no, awesome. No, no fear in Bam Bam Bigelow's wrestling. No. He was just willing to go with whatever Barry was doing. I mean, you could just it, kind it, of it's tell. interesting. Also, this bothered me also in the tag match empire. Not not as bad, but there, there are times in this Crockett era where the the camera will cut to the crowd mm. 
or something oh, random. Yeah. And, and in this case, I know what they did. They missed Bam Bam doing the cartwheel because there's a spot where oh, he fails, and Bam Bam would always do a celebratory cartwheel because that was kind of his signature at that time. And they cut to they cut to the crowd when he's doing it. And I'm like, damn, damn it. it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, yes, I I I I I, I definitely think you 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 had a, a good analysis of it. It's a different uh, it's a different style match for sure from what we're used to. You know, going into this, I'm not sure I'd actually seen this match before, which seems impossible because I watched all of the Starcades like about five years ago. Um, for a podcast, unless it just like washed over me or I was just so <laughs> out of it by the, that point. I don't know, but I had like no recollection of this match. Um, so this, this was kind of a treat for me, uh, to see for what felt like the first time, whether it was or it wasn't. Um, really interesting. And, and Greg and Jenny, you both sort of alluded to it, like interesting heat, heel fa- face dynamics, both in terms of, what you would expect in terms of just looking at these two guys and, and, their, and their body type, like it's more fitting that that Bam 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 would be the natural heel against a, a babyface Barry Windham. But even within the the framework of the match, um, there's some kind of role reversal type stuff. Or Greg, you talked about how uh, you know Barry Windham gets kind of a hope spot building up to that uh, that body slam, which is very unusual for a heel. He also, for the first half of the match, like takes most of the offense. Um, like Bam Bam is just chewing him up. Um, and you get to see some great, great offense from early Bam Bam Bigelow with like, he's doing really effortless gorilla press slams and he does a really awesome, uh, backbreaker where he's, he's, he's got, uh, oh, yeah. him across his shoulders in like a rack mm-hmm. position and just drops to his knees um, I, I, think never, just, I didn't realize doing that move in the 80s. I, I can't recall anybody doing it in an 80s match, so that was cool. You would think you would destroy his knees, of a man of that size. Um, holding another man on top of his own weight, uh, coming down like that, but pretty impressive. Um, yeah, and, and again, like the uh, the slingshot splash from the outside, if, if the idea and that sort of weird sort of botched pin was that uh, Bam Bam was, was not done with him yet. He wanted to dish out more punishment, right? Maybe, maybe that's how we kayfabe it. That's a heel spot. You know, that, that's mm-hmm. the heel getting overconfident and cocky and saying, Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to finish him with the whatever. Right. Right. And, uh, you know, this is baby face Bam Bam and, and it backfires on him when he then goes up to the top rope for the atomic splash misses. That's, you know, that's the heel thing to mm-hmm. do. And here's where we see Wyndham come back. Um, and he does make a, a great comeback, you know, uh, with that, that awesome lariat. Uh, and of course, the claw, which is there any worse finishing move? Is there any worse move, period, in wrestling than the claw? No. Uh, it's my favorite bad move, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's, it's, it's sort of like how everybody, you know, we all have a favorite bad movie. That, that's yeah. a great, Bad. That's a great bad wrestling. Movie. I can't. I can't hate on that because I, when I was a kid, I loved a move that that is at least as bad as the claw, maybe worse, which was the old Kona Crush. The uh, ooh, 
Okay. The double head squeeze from from the double. Oh head God, squeeze. not a double head squeeze. A double head squeeze. Yeah. Meet the joy in in, uh, in the claw is watching the person in the claw trying to figure out how to sell the claw. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine how good a wrestler. I actually talked to Nick about this the other day. Imagine how good a wrestler Carrie Elways' stepdad character from Liar Liar would have been with his mask. <laughs> good lord! What a what a pull! <laughs> I'm known I for nothing. I, I understood that reference, but uh, like, yeah, really. Anyway. What does it say about us? <laughs> um, audience of so, three. Yep. But it, yeah. But anyway, um. It's it's just great to see uh, heel Barry Windham wrestle this match as like a much smaller man mm. until he does need to make his comeback and you're like oh okay this is Barry Windham an enormous human being so yeah he is gonna have some incredible offense here against this this uh, this uh, baby face who is utilizing to great effect his big fat guy offense <laughs> yes you, you know you love to see it. But yeah, the the smooth the smoothness he's so smooth in the ring <laughs> is on display here, just just like in our in that opening tag match uh, that we talked about. Um, it, it, you know what? I think this is a very Barry Windham thing. A, a lot of a lot of guys heel babyface when when they are um, having to sell, and you know it, it's a long sequence. Let's say it's a long heat segment. Um, they'll just go into like wet noodle mood, right? Where they just, mm-hmm. it seems like they can't do anything. They're just, they're just eating shit. They're, they're kicking out of pens, but that's about it. They're just like, they, they can come up with, it's like all of the energy is just drained from their body. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and I get that. I, I know that a, that's a, that's a legitimate way of, of working the crowd and, you know, building up to the hot tag or, you know, whatever sort of comeback that they're going to have. And we don't really get that with, with a Barry Windham. He is always, it always feels like even when he's fighting from behind, he still has that tenacity. He still has that, that, that drive to everything he does. He's like, he's not just out there, you know, a body, a, a, a broomstick, if you will, selling. He's, he's always, you know, fighting back against whatever it is. We saw it, we saw it in that, uh, in the tag match we talked about before. We see it here in this match. And, um, that's, I think one of the subtleties that that makes him really great, and so. may have been he picked up from uh, from being mentored by Ric Flair because Flair was mm-hmm. good, like throwing little chops or punches even when he was on the selling end. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Going on. Um, so here we go. We're we're two for two. Um, another Barry victory here. And by the way, I don't even hate the finish to this match. Um, I, I think it works for the reasons you stated, Greg. It it does keep Bam Bam protected, but also he doesn't look like, he doesn't even look like um, a big dope. Even, even when he gets posted outside the <laughs> ring, he, he recovers pretty quickly, right? He gets, mm-hmm. he gets right back up and he rolls back into the ring. It's just a second too late. It's not like he's out there. He's knocked out and, and just dumb, gets counted out. Yeah. Like, yeah, looking dumb, getting counted out like a dope. He, he didn't, take he just, well, yeah. Yeah, it was just it was Wyndham being being that much more crafty as the heel, um, cognizant of of where the ref is <clears throat> in the ten count, and he makes it back in the ring at at nine or you know nine and a half, and mm-hmm. and Bigelow uh, recovering, fighting back, um, is just a, a step too slow. 
um, with his manager, Harry Knowles of Ain't It Cool News, um, <laughs> which is who I immediately thought of when I saw Oliver Humperdinck out there. But, um, uh, yeah. Anyway, like I said, two for two here on these Barry matches and Barry victories. Um, this, you know, he went into it. The, the uh, United States champion leaves the match. United States champion. At some be. point, we're going to have to do a match that involved uh, Oliver Humperdinck's tenure as Big Daddy Dink. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. That's my next pick. Um, spoilers. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> We'll see if we can find three matches. Right? Yeah, no, right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, we've had two matches here from 1988, which is an awesome year for Barry Windham. Um, I, you know, I could have easily chosen another one, I feel like, or just something else from the 80s. But I wanted to skip ahead after you guys had picked because, um, you know, Barry has a pretty good – early 90s run as well. I'm thinking of like his 92, which is, to your point, Jenny, mostly tag stuff. It's honestly kind of hard to find Barry Windham's singles matches from 1992. Um, he's primarily teaming with uh, Dustin Rhodes, and if he's not, they're they're involved in like multi-man match type yep. stuff against, you know, Dangerous Alliance. Of course, there's the great War Games. Um you know, just, it's just oh, uh, Wyndham versus Steve Austin, uh, two out of three. We, yeah, that was one of my picks on the uh, the Steve mm-hmm. Austin episode we did. So I would just say, had I not burned that off at the time, I probably would have picked that match um, here for this episode because it's, I mean, it's as much a Wyndham match as it is an Austin match that that two or three falls, which I I thought was really good. Mm-hmm. Um, if I do say so myself, um, mm-hmm. but anyway, uh, you know, I, I kind of. Didn't want to do another tag match just because, I don't know, I just didn't want to. <laughs> I just wanted to find, like, a good hidden gem kind of singles. And I don't know that it's really a hidden gem. It's just kind of a nice, solid match that people sort of forget about. And so what I came up with was uh, from 1993, so we're, so we're kind of getting to the end of, of Barry's tenure here in WCW for a good while. Um, it is from the Clash of the Champions. Number 23, and this is at the Norfolk Scope, my neck of the woods, kind of. More names than the neck of the woods. Norfolk. Uh, and it is now. Why is it called a scope? It's an Because <laughs> all these Virginians with their halitosis, as, as uh, <laughs> Jesse Ventura would, would put together. <laughs> Oh, man, great commentary for this one. It's now Barry Windham, NWA heavyweight champion, going up against Too Cold, Too Cold, Scorpio. Oh, shit. The Cold Man. Um, Go Barry Windham. I know. Yeah, this is this is a real odd match on paper. Kind of a mismatch. Strange. Going yeah. into things. But I think it works. And, yes. Greg, maybe you can help me out. I've never understood the reason why they decided to strap up Wyndham with the NWA heavyweight championship. Um, it was a means to get it onto Ric Flair. Uh, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Right. Except it didn't happen that way, of course, but uh, yes, the, I, or did it? I can't remember. Maybe it did happen that way. Yeah. So the idea was uh, they brought back the, now this was what doesn't make sense. They brought back the NWA world title at like 
Starcade, maybe, 92. And I don't know if Ric Flair was even gone from the WWF by then, but... Uh, no, uh, he wasn't. He he lasts into 93. Yeah. Because um, they do that Loser Leaves Town match with... with um, yeah, with Perfect. Um, yeah. But they uh, but they brought they brought the belt back and they put it on Muda, the great Muda, and mm-hmm. uh, Wyndham wins it from Muda at Super Brawl, I think. Super Brawl, yeah. And then uh, and I, but I'm pretty sure it was because they thought the natural story there was Wyndham and Flair, and they hadn't yet turned Wyndham. Wyndham, I think, turned at Starcade '92 uh, and uh, turned heel, and then um, started- yeah, because he turned on he had turned on Dustin. Um, yeah. Towards the end of end of ninety two, so that put an end to their tag team. He'd kind of been teaming with heel Brian Pillman at the end of the year, and that That's didn't really right. go anywhere. That's right. Um, so yeah, Flair comes back. Wyndham wins the title at at Super Brawl three, and so this is when you get like you've got like babyface Ric Flair, and they're putting the the Horsemen back together as as more of a babyface unit with him and Arn. And, you know, naturally, of course, they're going to be gunning for Wyndham. You know, they're all old running buddy. But Wyndham sort of rebuffs them and says, no, I'm the – and I'm boy, they try to get this over. Yeah, the lone wolf, right? Yep. Um, they kept pushing that uh, on commentary throughout the match. He, he's a lone wolf. He, he, he stands only for himself. And it kind of sucks for Barry because it does position him as just the transitional champion. He's really just there to get it on the Flair. He's not there to actually have a run himself. Um, yeah. Because they're setting up Flair to win it, and then they want to do Flair and Rude, uh, which they did over the course of the summer and fall, um, to mixed results, of course. But <laughs> we've covered that on the yeah. show. I guess but, I forget that. Well, it's it's I always forget that Flair and Wyndham had these sort of back-to-back matches that are, like, a year apart, so... Yeah, same pay-per-view, Lambery. Yeah, cause, well, sort of, so same time of year, right? Because Wyndham does drop the title to Flair at, at Beach Blast. Oh, that's right. And then he's, yeah, he's out for a year because he's, he's, like, got, he's banged up, he's got bad knees or whatever, and by the time he comes back, um, he has another match with Flair at uh, Slamboree, in 94, which again is, um, around the same, same time period. So it's like he was gone for the better part of a year. And then when he comes back, he's just fighting flair again. So it's, it's sort of weird. It, it feels like he, it's like, he, it feels like he never left. And then he comes back and does that match and he's gone basically for good. Mm-hmm. Um, until the late, late nineties with the, well, flare stuff again, <laughs> and West Texas rednecks and everything. So, yeah, we're we're getting real close to the finish line here. Um, so it's transitional champion Barry Windham, NWA heavyweight champion, still going against Scorpio. Um, so we get a kind of aggressive lockup to start things off here. Both guys tumbling into the ropes, and Windham just tries to intimidate Scorpio as again the lone wolf here. Uh, only to eat a drop kick, and uh, he gets a little what for back from from Scorpio on that exchange. Um, so then Wyndham goes for a hammerlock and a, a short on dragon twist, if you will. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, but Scorpio managed to wiggle out of that, pops off a scoop slam. So Wyndham's a little bit rattled here. Um, 
He resorts to some knees in the corner and some chops, not not the kind of wrestling chops that you're used to, but karate chops mm. um, in the corner, which was an interesting choice. Um, gets a big lariat then uh, into the opposite corner uh, and then goes for a blind charge. Scorpio, though, gets his legs up um, and takes Wyndham down in kind of a leg lace lariat, I guess you could call it, looking for a half-crab attempt. But uh, Barry then bails outside the ring. Scorpio whips the champion into the ropes. And Windows looking for a clothesline on the rebound from that. Ducks by Scorpio. But Windham still catches him with a big right hand. Um, then goes up top for a huge clothesline. With, again, smooth as silk. It looks like mm-hmm. he can just, I mean, fly across that ring. It's it. the way he pushes with his feet. And his legs. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's like he's a. It was like he's a dancer or something. Like yeah, a, graceful. Um, a battle of attrition between between uh, the lone wolf and, as Jesse repeatedly reminds us, the cold man. Mm. The cold man. Yeah. So uh, we get uh, now a, a body slam and uh, a hanging vertical suplex. From Wyndham, floats over into, which that, that move always looks so awesome when he oh. would do it. Uh, floats over into a pinning attempt, two off of that. The Scorp Man whipping Barry Wyndham across the ring, but then he totally eats shit on a drop kick attempt <laughs> because Wyndham catches himself on the ropes. Uh, comes back with a DDT, another move that we see Wyndham oh. using a lot during this time frame, which uh, always looks unusual, right? When a, a guy that size pops off a DDT. You think of that as a, I don't know, like a smaller wrestler's move. Yeah, it was the same DDT the Undertaker used to do, that running. Mm-hmm. That, mm-hmm. Exactly. I, think, I think it looked better than the, the DDT he used as his finish. Like, I, 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 do too. I thought that this, I thought Scorp, I actually thought this was the finish when he hit it. I thought, oh shit, Scorp didn't last very long in this one. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, Scorp is hanging on here. This match <laughs> gets gets a desperation inside cradle, but uh, Wyndham easily survives that. Comes back with a gut wrench suplex. Scorpio fires off a couple of rounds and then gets a flash drop kick, but uh, Wyndham just runs him right over with another clothesline. Um, Barry dropping Scorpio throat first now across the ring ribs, dumps him outside the ring, but Scorpio then slingshots himself right back into the ring and into, I don't know what to call it, but like a Des press. <laughs> um, yep. But uh, he can't keep Wyndham down. Um, window, Wyndham shrugs it off and, and comes back with a big Samoan drop. Then a uh, delayed belly to back suplex. Don't see that move very much. Love that. Um, That's a cool but looks on a, on a, Just on like a... everything, you know, just like you said, Greg, he, he does these like basic wrestling maneuvers, but in a way that's very like innovative to, Barry Wyndham. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he makes basic things look really cool. Um, Scorpio is still hanging in there, counters another suplex into a sunset flip, um, then hits a belly to back of his own. Uh, Wyndham, the hoist Scorpio up right to the top roof. He's setting him up for the superplex here, which uh, he often used to finish guys, um, especially at this time period. Scorpio, though, manages to block it and he gets that big sort of twisting splash that he does. Um, oh, he always yeah. gets a lot of, a lot mm-hmm. of hang time on that. Um, Wyndham fights out of that pin. Crowd bought but, that. Uh, that mm-hmm. Yeah, they bet on that. Yeah, they bet on it. Um, Scorpio uh, catches Wyndham coming off the ropes with 
what then fans would recognize as a Frankensteiner. Uh, so perhaps move infringement there by uh, by Scorpio against Big Papa Pump. I don't I don't know if I'd fuck with that, but <laughs> in any case, it's not enough. Um, we see a, a thrust kick into a victory roll by Scorpio, still pressing that offense, but Wyndham escapes, scoop slam. And Scorpio then paced Wyndham with a somersault splash, sort of like a, I don't know, like a standing slingshot 450. Another one of those moves you don't see anymore, um, but looks very cool here. I don't know if I if anybody had ever seen it to that point on American yeah. television. That was wild. Yeah. Um, he follows that up with a missile drop kick. So really keep the momentum here in Scorpio's favor. He's, he's on a flurry now. Um but when he attempts to shoot himself back into the ring from the apron, Wyndham just just pastes him with a with a big right hand, um, nails him in midair. Uh, Scorpio is laid out, and that allows Wyndham to finish with that what they call a leaping DDT. I, I guess kind of like the the execution, but just yep. sort of more awkward in execution. So yeah, he drops to his knees instead of to his butt. Yeah, yeah. So it, it looks a little, I don't know, weird. So anyway, uh, your winner and still NWA champion is the Lone Wolf, Barry Hoyndham. Um, I mean, it's it's your basic sort of exhibition-y match. I mean, I know it's a, it's a championship match, but does anyone really buy that Scorpio is going to win it here? Um you know, not the type of thing they really did back then, just to like pop a pop yeah. a rating or something. Um, but um, I think it again, uh, Styles Clash, as though it may be, I, I think it kind of works um, in yeah. a weird sort of way because Barry Windham is is very adaptable, and Scorpio is, I mean, a world traveled wrestler. He's you know he's going to be game for pretty much anything, and um, they they managed to put something. Pretty neat together. It's, um, you know, I mean, we're not talking any five-star classic or anything, but probably better than you would think on paper and perhaps better than it had any right to be. Yeah. Complete style clash, but yet one that worked. Sometimes sometimes in wrestling, the most interesting matches come from the least, the, the, the on paper, the least compatible styles, compatible mm-hmm. styles. In this case, you know, you've got Barry Windham, who you think of as the classic 1980s NWA wrestler. And then you've got Too Cold, who was a wrestler most people consider to be 20 years ahead of his time, um, doing a a style of wrestling at at a level that was kind of certainly wouldn't be seen from a guy of his size until many years later with Rob Van Dam. So uh, he on paper, you would think this is going to be ugly. Uh, this this is going to be like Rey Mysterio Jr. versus 1986 Ric Flair or something, where it's going to be just a wild, <laughs> wild style clash. But instead, I think to both guys' credit, they adapt. I mean, it tells a clear story of Barry Windham is the veteran. He's the bigger guy. He, he's the champion. He controls the match, but and Too Cold fights from underneath. But they also tell the story that Too Cold is so fast and so explosive and so innovative that, you know, he keeps catching Barry with these wild things that he's never seen before, that none of us have seen before at that point in time. Like, the that slingshot 450 is one of those moves that, like, I don't even know how he did it. Like, mm-hmm. it doesn't look 
natural at all. Yeah, it doesn't seem like it should even be possible, and yet he pulls it off with great, uh, great success. And so, um, I think that was that was very impressive, and 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 Wyndham, Wyndham, uh, <laughs> adapting to too cold and working high impact, high pace style, uh, coming off the top rope with a clothesline, showing he can fly a little bit too, which the commentary did a great job of, of pointing out. Um, uh, which commentary was just excellent anyway throughout this match. Very entertaining. Yeah, and, get Tony and and uh, and, and Jesse. A very it's, it's hard to top them. Yeah, yeah, a very frisky Jesse in this match, and um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I I thought that that Barry did a great job controlling the pace and uh, letting Too Cold get his get his comeback when it was time and making people buy those near falls. Particularly, I don't think they ever really topped that that first one where Too Cold hit that twisting splash. People really bought that as the finish, um, and 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 that was that was really cool. A couple of takeaways from this match. Number one, like you with the Bam Bam match, I'm not sure I've ever seen this before. I've heard about it. Okay. It got a little bit of buzz at the time, but I don't think – I don't remember ever seeing it uh, until watching it uh, this time. And so I was quite happy about that. Uh, takeaway two is that Barry, even though he was considered uh, physically a little bit past his prime by this point because of the knee injuries and things of that nature. You know, he was physically, you just see he's put on a little bit of weight at this point. He's not mm-hmm. like out of shape or anything, but he's just, he's thicker around the midsection. And um, yet he can still go. And he, you know, and this is a great example of probably one of his last real standout single matches, I think. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and it's nice to see. It's just amazing to think about if they could have had today's medicine and today's treatment methods, mm-hmm. how much more he could have gotten out of his career. Um, but then, like, uh, the other takeaways are, because I don't know when the next time is we'll get a chance to talk about him, Too Cold Scorpio. Man, he was over. That entrance music, as as, as dated as it was for 1993, uh, it, that crowd was people were into it. Yeah, Hell they yeah. were. He comes out, people. I was into. I was eight years or nine years. No, I was still eight at that time. Uh, and uh, and they and knew it, the dance. They they had the whole th- they had the whole I, number it, down. I, it, I used to do the two cold Scorpio dance all the time around my around our apartment. <laughs> I was I was a big two cold fan because he was doing cool stuff and. Uh, he seemed cool. He had, he had the the music with the lady screaming and all that stuff. And, mm-hmm. uh, uh, it was it was good. It was good stuff, pal. And he was over. And I think too cold. <laughs> in my mind, I always thought, even when I was a kid, I always thought they didn't do enough with him. I I didn't understand all the intricacies of wrestling at the time. But like even I was a kid, I was like, where's too cold? Why don't they do more with him? Because uh, he was so he was over, and he had all these cool moves. He he was a really good wrestler. And he's a, another example of a guy that WCW had that was really young and innovative, and they kind of didn't do much with him um, outside of the tag ranks. And I think this was probably his, in some ways, his crowning moment as a single in WCW um, was getting the spotlight against Wyndham for the NWA title. And I really think watching this match, he showed he belonged. I think he could have gotten something out of him, at least as like a U.S. title level guy um, at the time. Um, but nonetheless, uh, he was really cool. And, uh, I was glad you picked this one because this is, this shows a later, a later era Barry Wyndham match, but, but yet illustrates what made him such a good and smart wrestler 
uh, while also showing us an opponent that we don't get to talk about nearly enough. Uh, I'm sure Jenny talks about him more on the ECW shows, but like, right. um, his WCW run was really good too for what it was. It's just he didn't get enough prominent spotlight to get a chance to show it all the time. But but if I remember watching from the weekly shows at that time, it felt like every week he was debuting some move I'd never seen before. Um, and he was legitimately one of my favorites in that in what was a down era for WCW. Well, if you like too cold Scorpio then I would suggest you tune into ECW because when he goes debuts in ECW he um I think it's like 94 ish or so and he's there for a couple yeah. of years and um you you get a good amount of Scorpio doing crazy shit and being crazy um like his promos are are indecipherable a lot of times <laughs> yes. uh he, he just goes uh, uh, and like <laughs> does that goofy laugh a lot um he also continues on the trend that he does at one point in this match where he can cover for a two count or a, a three count but realistically a two count but he don't and it always bugs me it's a thing that scorpio does in all of ecw is be really good in a match, do all this amazing stuff, have a guy down, and not cover his ass. And it's so <laughs> infuriating. And I was, when I saw him do it in this match, I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> He's doing it already. It's like a whole total thing of his. Like, for me, even above, like, his high flyer stuff <laughs> is that infuriating thing that he does. Um but that being said, it's almost like he he wants to get his shit in, but keep it protected at the same time. So it, it's weird. He doesn't go for a lot of covers off of uh, off of the big high spots because it's like, well, if the guy kicks out, then that's just a that's just a worthless spot, right? But it's like maybe you shouldn't do so many. Of them. Yeah. It's like, no, but, man, you're gonna you're not gonna stop me from it's, doing it's, all my cool shit. It's interesting because kind of I always kind of think of him as like a spiritual predecessor to RVD, and RVD mm-hmm. always did that work by having a character where his gimmick was that he was so cocky that he didn't really he cared more about posing for the camera than he did about actually winning the match. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. how Scorpio gets to. But um, like in this, it was um, it was good to see him like more focused because in ECW, just he's he's goofy a lot of time. I mean. And he has some serious matches, but even within them, he gets, I don't know. It's like he pulls out his big moves, and then he needs to walk around the ring for, like, two minutes. Mm-hmm. to Because like, he yeah. gets just gassed by So he was, like, kind of keeping up with Barry um, a lot more in this than I'm kind of used to seeing him. Which I understand, like, in the timeline, this is before all that. So, anyway, um, I like Barry in this because he looks – villainous with that goatee uh i really (laughs) with his super blonde hair and then (laughs) his dark goatee i don't know it uh it works for you it really does um and how brightly lit this uh scope is you can see everything like he is just absolutely covered in sweat like you can it's just like dripping off of everything's just visible in this space and like, you could see, like, to the nosebleeds. I don't know. I was kind of distracted. Like, I need some darkness mm. in this. Anyway. Well, um, most of those shows are so damn dark. I mean, our first two matches we talked about, you, I mean, you could maybe see the, the 
first few rows lit mm-hmm. up, but that was it. I mean, the rest of it looked like it took place in an abyss. <laughs> the way that those, <laughs> That's the way I like are. my wrestling. Yeah, I mean, I kind of do too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> floppy arm, damn Nick Patrick, always takes mm. away from the match too, but... Um, one thing really... about Nick Patrick that bothered me in this match, it, it, I noticed it a lot of times in his match. I'm not quite as anti Nick as as you are, mm-hmm. but because I like, I think he has his place. But but I will say it 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 always feels like it takes the crowd a few near falls to catch up to his weird cadence. Yes, it does. It always looks yeah. like he's already counted to three when he yes, because <laughs> he doesn't count. Every referee I've ever seen almost in wrestling. When they fall to the mat, they count that first slap as the one count. He does it. He goes to the mat and hits his mat, hits his hand down there, and then he picks it up and then he begins to count. And it always throws people off in the audience. How is that? He says the he says the one as he's basically about to hit the two. Yeah. And you're like, wait, is he is he on one or two or? And then it's like, okay, I guess you know, of all refs to be a a good pick to. to to blow the you know the finish for Starcade or whatever the whole controversy and and that did Hogan pay him off or not who would know because his cadence was always so weird yeah jacked up yeah <laughs> who paid for the plastic surgery <laughs> who who paid for the tennis elbow <laughs> um, but I liked the kickouts in this one it was very much a Tim match I would say. And like you guys said, the styles, it's not really a styles clash. It's just more, uh, I mean, I think Barry's pretty adaptable. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not saying he could fly like Scorpio, but he, he gets around, you know, he can move around in the ring. So I, He's incredibly I, agile for yeah. a man of his size. The finisher, pretty sick to me. Um, pretty slow build, but a pretty great match. I, 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 the first couple of minutes, I wasn't expecting to like it for whatever reason, and then it won me over. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's definitely one to watch if if you haven't. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. A nice um, kind of uh, reminder from Barry Windham, I think, that he could still go out there and, and on any given night put on a put on a clinic. I will say that this late period, Barry Windham, with, with the goatee, um, more villainous, yes, I, I will grant you, although it looks a little bit too much for my liking uh, to the, uh, the the snowman at the beginning of Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the narrator, basically. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, Burl Ives, yeah. Yes, yeah, looks like the Burl Ives snowman. Um, <laughs> but that's just me. Oh, my, my God. Oh, what's scarier than that motherfucker? I mean, really. I know. He was um, a, I mean, I want to know why this guy didn't involve himself more directly because he's sitting there telling us about all this terrible <laughs> shit that Rudolph and his family went through and, and, and he's standing there just laughing about it, doing his little King of Jingling songs and stuff. <laughs> well, he's like a real son of a bitch. Yeah. yeah why, why don't you go help? Why don't you go tell Santa Claus he's being a dick? Look. He's a, he's a bystander. He he just reports on things. He I I know I was a reporter, but by God, if I saw somebody in 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 strife, if I saw somebody struggling like that, you have to go over there and say, "Hey, man, Santa Claus, look, you lost <laughs> weight. Maybe you're letting it get to you, and you're being a dick." 
and see an adolescent reindeer being bullied for his sexuality. I mean, his red nose. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And and it's and, only natural that you step up and yeah. do the right thing. I mean, and 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 you're a snowman for God's sake. Your only purpose in life is during the Christmas season. So do something. Is all I'm saying. Make yourself um, for our lives. Is that even his real name? Yeah, I bet his real name was like. Andres Van Gulik. <laughs> anyway, Burr alive. Come on. Ugly story. Oh, boy. Um, so that's Barry Wyndham. Uh, yep. I'm very satisfied with, with my pick of Barry Wyndham. And to hear other wrestlers talk about Barry Wyndham, they, uh, it's almost this. Like jealousy mixed with frustration. I don't know if you've you've ever noticed this, Greg, but there was like, God, the guy was so good, he could have been so much more. And they talk about how you know you're sort of under motivated in comparison to other wrestlers, and just such a natural at at the sport of professional wrestling. He he just sounds like one of those guys who who found the one thing or a thing that he was just incredibly gifted at, and. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, you could you could train to get better, but like there, I don't know. It's one of those things where he just had such such a knack it for came, it that it came easy to him. It yeah. just came, exactly it came. And that's what he's I, to, I, the, the Randy Orton comparison I make. Uh huh. And, and so when something comes that easy to you, it's almost like why would you take it that seriously? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like well, this is I don't know what the big deal is. It's just wrestling, right? Where guys will train their whole lives to get as good. <laughs> as Barry Windham is just walking in off the street kind of thing, which I know is not the case, but it's just no amount of training was going to make Barry Windham better than he just already was. He just right. had it. He just had it. it was at such a young age that it's hard to go anywhere from there. Like what, what could, what could 1988 Barry Windham have improved upon? What could he have gotten better at? Yeah. Was what's, what's he going to get better at? Yeah. Like he's a pretty good promo. Like, yeah. I'm going to ask about promo because I didn't get to see him talk at all. Yeah, no, nah, he he wasn't like he wasn't Ric Flair. Nobody was. Right. He wasn't Arn, but he was pretty good. He was a pretty good promo by the late '80s and early '90s. Like he could, mm-hmm. he could be convincing and make you think that he was an evil bastard. Uh, I think he was a little bit better heel promo than he was a babyface promo, but he was not bad at that either. I mean, I, I think Barry was a very good, a very capable promo. Um, to me, anyway, he's no, he's no worse than like a Lex Luger, you know? No, like, uh, what? In, in fact, and, probably better in many ways. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. certainly. And he came so. along at a came along at a time when you didn't have to be a good promo. That's what managers were for. So I, and I know, was, so in the course of, of in Peacock's brilliant not letting us have timestamps on the damn videos, I had to go through mm-hmm. most of this show to get to mm-hmm. this. And along the way, I saw one of the worst promos I've ever seen in my entire life from Steve <laughs> Doctor Death Williams. Anybody oh, out there that, that, that wants to watch this uh, match that we talked about from the Clash 1, y'all got to watch this Dr. Death promo. It is – I can't even describe how bad it is. It's awkward. It's painful to watch. Like, you watch it, and you know how sometimes you see something that's just so awkward and it makes you uncomfortable to watch because it's so yeah. awkward? That's this. Like, he is dying out there. And and Bob Cottle's trying to interview him, and he's not doing anything. <laughs> Bob's just like, you know what? You're on your own, pal. Yeah, Bob's not helpful at all. <laughs> and Doc, and I like Bob, but good gosh, man, he's not helping Doc at all because Doc is just dying on the vine here. Mm. He says, 
at one point he says a sentence that's not a, a sentence, really. They're, they're not, almost not English words that are being said. He said, Dusty, my friend, I want to tell you that I all there at your when you were on the with the and mm. Rick Flair, I'm coming it. for you. I'm coming hard. <laughs> <laughs> and Classic. Bob, I want to tell you one more thing, Bob. He said, I'm going to tell you one more thing like three three or four different times. And it's a horrible babyface promo. So, yes, Barry Windham, by that standard, was top tier when you're looking at, at that. Uh, and then Nikita does a promo later on that's better than that. But, Ooh, I saw that one. Yeah, but also, also you, you can barely understand what he's saying so, <laughs> because he's trying to do the Russian accent. And it's just, oh, God, I can't stand Nikita Koloff promos. <laughs> oh, man, so bad. So, but, yeah, so Barry was good, good promo. And in the ring, I mean, he was – it's like it's like where it's like there's not much he can – get any better at he sells great he bumps great he does he, he like we said throughout the show he moves with gracefulness that was that belied his size he had great size his offense looked great i mean he could play babyface or heel he just peaked early and it, i can imagine it's hard to stay motivated when you know how good you are and yeah. also with uh, you know maybe this plays to that he always kind of got pigeonholed a little bit as that you know, no matter how good he was, no matter how great he was, he always had Ric Flair right there, who was the yeah, gold yeah. standard of wrestling at that time. And so was he ever going to get a chance to to really be the guy, um, particularly when they had Sting and Luger, who were the body guys that were getting the big pushes as baby faces at that time in wrestling. So Barry kind of, I think, was looped into being a heel. And if you were going to be a heel, you you know, I I, I think his chance would have been if he had avoided the sort of – he and his dad got into legal trouble in early 1989, which kind of led to him departing the NWA, and then he goes to the WWF and is the Widowmaker. If that, if he had stayed in the NWA, I definitely think he would have had a, pro- a program with, with babyface Ric Flair. So Wyndham would have Ooh. been one of his top challenges yeah. here. Yeah, that would have been cool. And yeah. might have even felt so. Um but yeah, a lot of what ifs with Barry's career. But the, even with everybody saying the things that they say, they all agree that he's one of the best. Flair constantly talks about how great he was, and uh, Arn talks about how great he was, and and it, 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 it's obvious. It's not one of those deals where you have to kind of look for. Why do people think he was that good? Mm-hmm. Look for it. It's just obvious when you watch him because he's a natural. Everything about him is a natural in wrestling. Never had to be a big steroid guy. Never had to. He, he he didn't have to take a lot of the shortcuts that guys had to take in those days because he was just that damn good. Very well said. Who's up next for our picks? I believe it. I believe it's uh, gone around to my turn now. I believe that's right. <clears throat> and I am going with uh, a timely pick in, in some ways. Um, a gentleman recently announced that he will be retiring uh, in the near future. He actually is planning on retiring next year. He <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> He somewhat <laughs> oddly announced his, his his he's going to be having five more matches oh. in his career. And uh, anyway, uh, no, it's not Ric Flair. It's another gentleman that's going to be retiring next year who had some interesting matches at WCW, and that will be the man from the Far East, the mysterious Great Muda. Great okay. Muda. All right. All right. Surprised pick. Surprise choice. Yes. I like it. He's getting. So. I saw him in the news saying that he's getting ready to retire next year. Have his have his last 
series of matches and I, uh, I found myself randomly on an afternoon a few weeks ago watching an old episode of WCW Saturday Night from 1992, and I watched him have a match, and I was like, "Man, we need to do we need to do him on the show. We need to, we need to talk a little bit about him. It's a it's a different uh, a different type of performer and character than we've talked about. So, um, yeah, I mean, to that. you forget how big a star he was in in WCW. Uh, late, you know, late 80s, yep. very unusual for the time period, but, you know, he he was right there with um, the main eventers of that scene. I mean, hanging in there, so. All right. Very well. interesting pick. I That will be an education for me. I have not seen a ton of Muta, so it be, I will enjoy it. Decided to learn more. Oh, God. More about Muta. Uh... Also, he still wrestles like Amy, like eighty five. How's he retiring <laughs> yes, now? Yes, his but basically he's had Terry Funk knees for twenty oh, years. Oh shit! Too. Right, okay. he, did the, he, he was, was the broken one down in like the late nineties. Yeah, yeah, he, he was one of the innovators of the moonsault, and so doing the moonsault every night for 20, 15, 20 years ruined his knees. So by the late nineties, he could barely get around, but he changed his style completely and stayed relevant in the early two thousands to mid two thousands. And now in recent years, he's just been kind of having awkward old man matches. But nice. Uh, but but he's still going somehow. He's tough, tough some bitch, I guess. But all right. Uh, yeah, he's 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 stayed relevant in Japan, and and uh, even as even as recent as 2000, he was making spot appearances in WCW and uh, yep. getting action. So. Well, until we get to that show, uh, Tim, is there anything that you're making in the meantime that we can listen to? Anything I'm making, um, mm-hmm. well, I'm uh, making miracles every month mm-hmm. with you, Jenny, and with, with uh, our friend uh, Jacob Williams, and that is on PTB NXT, the monthly PTB uh, chrono rewatch. We're, we're in the year 2015, um, coming up on our, our next uh, uh, big takeover outing that's going to see uh, Sami Zayn defending the NXT championship against his old friend Kevin Owens. Can't wait for so, that. I just I, I just know. like to see two old friends can have a sporting fair matchup with Oh them. yeah, I'm I'm sure it'll be a very respect-based match mm-hmm, no doubt mm-hmm. based on based on their feud to date. So um yeah, check out PTB NXT that is uh right here on Place B Nation Wrestling where you're hearing this show um you know you can also this is on a very different note but uh if you're a fan of teen drama uh 90s style uh check out 9021 noso that is a chronological rewatch not of wrestling but of the great um primetime drama of the 90s that is with myself and jt rosero uh, this has its own dedicated feed now. So we've been doing the feed, the, the show, excuse me, for some time. We've basically finished the first season of Beverly Hills 90210, which is quite the feat for JT and mm-hmm. myself and all of our great guests along the way. Thank you, Jenny, for being one of them. Greg, of we're going to get you in. Um, yes. So that was part of the, the North-South Connection podcast network, our, our affiliates, which you will, you'll hear more about here shortly. Uh, but 
we uh, we decided to spin it off into its own thing. So you'll find uh, exclusive to just 9021NOSO and your preferred podcatcher app. Look for it. Subscribe. You'll find our entire back catalog. There's no paywall or any of that bullshit. Who do we think we are? Um, <laughs> so yeah, subscribe to that. And new episode every two to three-ish weeks. Um, yeah. And uh, you can find me on Twitter. I am at Psych68CYKE68 on Twitter. Uh, Greg, have you got anything that you – what have you been working hmm. on? And I know you've been working, but, but what are you working on, Greg? What, what, what I've been working on is a lot of uh, numbers and figures and sheets and boring things that hmm. no one else would ever be interested in. Uh, also, uh, my tan. Mm-hmm. Oh, obviously. Right. That's a lie. I, I can't get tans. All I get is burnt. Oh, I can't <laughs> either. It's, it's pointless for me. I, I had a chance to go to Chicago recently and I got to, I got to, uh, alongside my hard traveling fanboy companion, Nick Duke, we, we went to the, uh, AEW New Japan Pro Wrestling, uh, Forbidden Door pay-per-view and that was fun. Oh, that's nice. A, that's among the most fun I've ever had with Forbidden Door. Oh and wow! Okay. It was it was it, it was great. Uh, I had a great time, and Chicago was a nice place to visit that I wouldn't want to live. Uh, <laughs> too many people, too many people, too it's a big city. Yeah, yeah, Tough. It's it's got that big city feel for sure. So. Yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff there. The pizza was awesome. Uh, lots of uh, I you know I probably took a few years off my life, and that's fine. Yeah, so, worth it. Was, um. And yeah, other than that, I'm not really I'm not really doing any much of anything. I, I watch wrestling for, for for fun sometimes too, outside of our podcast, and that's good most of the time. Sometimes, occasionally, <laughs> and uh, uh, I've been watching some early WWE Saturday nights, which are fun. Um, mm. From like '92 or whatever, and uh, Kip Allen Fry, I have I have taken a liking to because of his I don't know. There's something about him. He just looks unusual, mm. but. Like he's very uncomfortable with the idea of being the yeah. wrestling company. <laughs> so uh, why am I the president of this company? Yeah, so that's been fun, and seeing some of the celebrity guests that come on to like guest host, like Ricky Rockman and uh, the guy oh, yeah. from Alabama, <laughs> the lead singer from the band Alabama, at one point. And, and, oh, and seeing seeing the people, just looking at the people in the crowd is is a is a real treat in and of itself with those those early Saturday nights. I feel. I mean, God bless them. Uh, those are some people who just love watching watching some wrestling. I, I don't know how else to put it. They, uh, shall we say, real salt of the earth. <laughs> um, Absolutely. And they, there in they love chanting. They love, I mean, more than, I would say more than breathing. They love chanting, won't there it is. Yep. It's very, yep. Uh, very powerful. But And they yeah. love to hate Paul E. Heyman. That New York piece of trash, Paul mm. E. Heyman. <laughs> uh, the, uh, but yes, uh, so I, I do that. But anyway, you can read a lot about these and other ramblings on my Twitter account, gphillips865tu. Uh, that's gphillips865tu, where I talk about primarily wrestling stuff. There's other stuff too, but it's mostly wrestling. And um, And sometimes in my free time, I like to take, the lyrics to famous or in non-famous songs and change them into Jim Ross speak. So nice. that's 
you got that going for you always. Always. We love that for you. Uh, <laughs> if you're a salt of the earth type person who likes to watch wrestling, uh, maybe you'll listen to some of these podcasts we got here on the Blaze Speedy uh, Wrestling feed, like Howie to the Impact Zone, uh, Through the Looking Glass with this ring, NWA Saturday Special, uh, PTBN's main event, and of course the Blaze Speedy podcast. They are on like 605 episodes or so. Um, so listen to all of those here on the feed along with uh, my stuff. It can be found on the North-South Connection on Wednesdays. All the shows that I make are on there. So every Wednesday you'll get like a Freak Out Driving, Weird About Pluto, Talk and Pop, The Journey Through Infinity. Uh, I also do the Extreme Freeway Dance over there. And that is every two weeks going through the history of ECW. And that's a fantastic podcast. You should probably listen to it. Um, I think that's it, and thank you for listening, and we will see you next time with the Great Buddha. You know I'm talking about a bear with us. Well, it's spoken, ain't joking. Yeah.